This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thanks so much for joining us. You might have heard about the Five Eyes research dossier concerning China's knowledge about the coronavirus. And although U.S. intelligence has not confirmed the dossier's existence, a senior official recently told Fox that its content aligns with U.S. intelligence, that China did know the spread between humans earlier than it said. And it also knew it was a novel coronavirus earlier than it said and spread wider than they reported to the international community in the first few weeks of the outbreak. Now, incredibly, the New York Times is reporting China wants to beat the world in the race to find a coronavirus vaccine. Now, how many of us would want to submit to a vaccine created by the same country responsible for the pandemic and its cover up in the first place? That's another question. But this all comes down to the key point that China has to be dealt with. The question is, how do we best address the negligence of the Chinese Communist Party through our foreign policy? We're going to get some thoughts on this now from China expert Stephen Mosher, who is president of the Population Research Institute and author of Bully of Asia. And Steve, just great to welcome you back to the show. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Janet. Busy, busy, busy these days. I'm at the intersection of biology and sinology because I'm a China expert and I also went through a Ph.D. program in biology. So I'm very interested in what was going on at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And uh, and I think I know. Good. Tell us what is going on at that at that Institute of Virology. Everybody's dying to know what happened. Well, I think China's responsible not just for the spread of the pandemic, which I think everybody agrees on now, right? We all know that they covered up uh, the early cases, that they lied about human-to-human transmission. They arrested the doctors with the whistleblowers, on and on and on the cover-up goes. It continues to the present day, by the way. They're still lying about the uh, number of infections, the number of deaths in China. They're claiming they've, uh, they've controlled the epidemic. They haven't. Uh, they're also denying people access to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where I believe it all began, because <laughs> for the last 15 years, they have been doing dangerous research in that lab under the direction of a Dr. Schur. Uh, Dr. Schur has been extracting coronaviruses by the hundreds from bats and from other animals and combining them in strange ways to make, uh, to make viruses that are even more infectious uh, than anything found in nature. So way back in 2013, she actually isolated a, a bat coronavirus, and she hid it from the world. Now, normally you don't do that, Janet. <laughs> normally, if you isolate a new virus, you report it uh, to the National Institutes of Health of the U.S. government, which keeps a log of all the new viruses so we know where they come from, what animals they're found in, and, uh, and what their genomic sequence is, right? right? What the DNA tells us. Because we want to know what's out there. We want to know what's in the lab in case one of those dangerous viruses escape. Well, she isolated this bat coronavirus back in 2013. Didn't tell the world until January 27th of 2020. <laughs> That's mm. just a few months ago. Mm. That's after the outbreak, outbreak of the pandemic. Why did she do that? What was she doing for seven years in the lab? Well, at one point, she took a section 
of a virus from a pangolin, which is a little scaly anteater, and inserted it in the bat coronavirus that she was hiding from the world and made something that was very, very infectious. It spread very, very easily from human to human. It could be transmitted uh, by aerosol droplets. It could stay in the air for hours and infect people. What do we call this today? Well, we call this COVID-19. We call this the China virus. Uh, So that's what I think leaked out of the lab. It leaked out of the lab, Janet, because, first of all, it's a very infectious virus, right? We know that now. That means that you have to be very, very careful in your lab protocol. You can't handle infected animals. You can't handle the isolate, the samples of the virus. You have to be very careful to maintain high containment standards. Well, in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, they didn't do that. Uh, They were running a, a very shoddy show there. And one of the lab workers got infected, and it spread throughout the population of Wuhan like wildfire. And we know the rest of the story. But, Janet, the point is, this is one of theirs. This is something they developed in the lab, and it leaked from the lab. So they're not only responsible for the pandemic, spreading the pandemic around the world, the Chinese Communist Party, which was surely aware of what Dr. Sher was doing in her lab because they were funding it. This is, after all, the Chinese Communist Party. Yep. And they knew that it leaked from the lab. They know it's one of theirs. They're responsible for not just the spread of the virus, but for its origins. Goodness. How how did you obtain this information? Because this is obviously not something that's widely known or the name of this doctor. When you're looking through all of the news reports on the coronavirus and the origins and so forth, you see a lot of general information. But how are you able to find this out? Well, I, I read, write, and speak Chinese. So I see what is able to escape from behind the great Chinese firewall. Uh, which is not much these days because one of the first things they did, of course, when the, the virus outbreak occurred was they moved in 1,600, 1,600 sensors into the city of Wuhan to censor everything the people there were sending out. Wow. But information does escape. Uh, I read, you know, the, uh, the Journal of Virology. I read Cell. I read the major publications, you know, in the, uh, the virology world. So I've been following uh, Dr. Schur's, you know, her, her, her career her escapades uh, over the last 15 years, reading all of her publications. But look, just like everybody else, I've been living uh, with the coronavirus pandemic now for a couple of months. It's uh, pretty pretty all-consuming, yeah. as we all know. Right. It's uh, something I wake up thinking about. It's something I go to bed thinking about. And I've been thinking about it a lot. And uh, they, they, they created this monster. Had they not hid it from the world, had they been telling the world the kind of research they, would have been, they, they were doing, we might have been a little more prepared for this, uh, but we weren't because they were doing it in secret. Why would they develop a dangerous, a highly infectious, uh, deadly pathogen in the lab um, anyway? Yes. People might want to ask that. Yeah. And the answer to that question is that, that a lot of this research has been going on, people may be surprised to learn, in a lot of labs around the world for many years, that we have been creating deadly pathogens in the lab for the purpose of studying them. Sure. We have been enhancing their lethality. We've been enhancing their infectiousness. It's called gain-of-function research. What kind of functions do the virus gain? Well, they go from being less deadly to more deadly, from being less infectious to more infectious. Why are we creating superbugs in the lab? Because the scientists want to play with them. Uh, They want to create a superbug so they can devise therapies to treat it, so they can devise a vaccine to prevent it. 
Uh, that's all fun and games, Janet, until one of these superbugs escaped from the lab. Exactly. And that's what happened in China because of their very poor lab practice. So you would you would put this down to a mistake, a, a terrible worldwide tragedy of a mistake. You would not necessarily look at this as bioterror. Would that be correct? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a deliberate leak from the lab. I think if it if if it were bioterror, uh, it would have started in Rome, or it would have started in Washington D.C., or it would have started in some African or South American country. Uh, it started in China and. And and I know that the Chinese Communist Party has no respect for human life. Yeah. I mean, look, this is the biggest killing machine in human history. They've killed probably 100 million uh, Chinese over the course of their 70-year uh, reign of terror in China. So they have no regard for human life. Uh, but the idea that they would deliberately infect uh, their own population in Wuhan so that they could spread the virus around the world uh, is, a, is a bridge too far even even for me. And I'm, I'm not one... <laughs> to defend them. Yeah. Uh, but but what they did do is once they had a, an epidemic on their hands, they deliberately spread it around the world. There's no question that they knew by late December they had an epidemic on their hands. They allowed the planes to fly. They allowed millions of people to leave the city of Wuhan and fly to all corners of the world. And that's why we have a global pandemic. So regardless of the origin of the, the virus, and I think it began in that lab, uh, the spread of the virus uh, is on them. So if it wasn't designed to be a bioweapon, uh, it's certainly been used as one. Yeah, uh, China sure. decided that if they were going to go down, uh, then they were going to take the rest of the world with them. It's so unbelievably evil. But as you say, this is just a killing machine of a communist party. And you have all kinds of information about that. We all do. And and it's just not surprising that they would try to cover it all up because we see what's happened now. Here's the question, though, that I want to explore when we come back from this break with Stephen Mosher. We're talking about this coronavirus and China, the Chinese Communist Party. The question is, what should our foreign policy response be to all of this that they have created. We're going to come back on Janet Meffer today right after this. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month. And there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. 3,100 Americans lost their lives yesterday. 
and the day before, not to the coronavirus, but to abortion on demand in our country. It's a tragedy of incomparable proportions, with over 800,000 weekly, globally, losing their lives. In the face of this, Preborn is offering free, compassionate, Christ-centered care and ultrasounds to girls in unplanned pregnancies. Would you prayerfully consider sponsoring an ultrasound for a girl today? Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Your gift of $28 will provide one free ultrasound and $140 will provide five free ultrasounds. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. Will you help a mom in need choose life? Just call now. 855-402-2229 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, I'm so glad to have with us Stephen Mosher, who is author of Bully of Asia, president of the Population Research Institute, and understands China very, very well. He's an expert on China, speaks Chinese, reads Chinese, and knows biology as well. He really is the perfect person to be analyzing China's responsibility for the coronavirus pandemic. And we've been talking a lot about your what you've discovered, actually, Steve, on the issue of this Dr. Shur within this Institute of Virology in Wuhan, China, and how she was creating, you know, doing this dangerous research. And, and getting this anteater, uh, antibodies apparently into this uh, virus that later came out as COVID-19. One of my questions to you is this. President Trump has said now he is looking at terminating the phase one deal with China if they don't buy an additional $200 billion worth of American goods and services over the next couple of years, as promised. I mean, that sounds fine, great. But w- what should we be doing with China right now? Certainly the international community is furious with China, but what's to be done about it? Well, I think we ought to uh, adopt uh, the same policy towards China that we had uh, under the Reagan administration towards the Soviet Union. Uh, When President Reagan, whom I once wrote a couple of speeches for, was asked, what's our policy towards the Soviet Union? He said, we win, they lose. Our policy towards China needs to be, we win, they lose. So that means a whole-of-government approach to stopping China across all domains, stopping uh, military aggression, stopping their advances in the South China Sea, uh, stopping their stealing of uh, cutting-edge U.S. technology, uh, stopping the currency manipulation, uh, stopping the, uh, the, the, the cheating on World Trade Organization rules uh, that allows them to sell lots of stuff to us that we can't sell back to them. Uh, and, yeah, the phase, listen, the phase one deal, Janet, was signed on January 15th of this year. Yeah. China already knew it had a pandemic on its hands and was spreading it around the world. The reason they came to Washington to sign the deal was because they knew they were in trouble and they wanted to put the trade issue behind them as quickly as they could. So that's part of the uh, that's part of the deceit and deception, too. In, in my view, in my view, the deal should be should be ended. Uh, sooner rather than later, it expires at the end of next year. And no one believes now that by the end of 2021, with China's economy in the tank, that they will actually keep their word to buy a couple hundred billion dollars worth of U.S. goods and, and, and products. Right. Uh, you know, they've, they've been known to cheat on almost every deal they've signed. Uh, any deal you sign with the Chinese Communist Party is void, null and void, as soon as the ink is dry on the paper. So I don't think they'll keep their bargain anyway, even if they didn't have an economic depression as a result of this uh, this, this coronavirus epidemic. Yeah. So this idea that we could demand billions in financial compensation because of our economic meltdown, is that just, you know, 
spitting in the wind, not worth our time to even try to get money out of them. How do you see that shaking out? Oh, I think there are a lot of things we can do, and I think we can do it in concert with our allies. You know, the, the Europeans were were ready to sit out this U.S.-China trade war. And I, I hate, hate even to say the U.S.-China trade war, because China was at war with us for the last 25 years. Yeah. Uh, we have just in the last couple of years begun to respond. So it's more like the China war, trade war against the United States that we're finally responding to. But the Europeans were sitting this out as Trump raised tariffs on China, hoping to play both sides. Well, they're not in the middle anymore. Why? Because they have uh, the coronavirus, the China virus pandemic, killing and in- infecting their own citizens. Uh, how well disposed How well disposed towards China do you think the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is? Have I see you and nearly dying? of the China virus. Exactly. He said there are going to be repercussions. The French, the Germans, the Japanese. Japanese are already moving their factories out of China. Uh, they have actually passed uh, legislation to fund the relocation of Japanese factories out of China. Do they have to come back to Japan? No. They can go anywhere in the world. Just leave China. That ought to be our policy, too. I think the world will be fleeing China. And Americans, Janet, should not buy a single product made in China. Boycott made in China goods. Uh, you're supporting the regime that tried to kill us deliberately. You're right. You're right. And, and yet you think of the, the complications of all of this because you look at all of the stores that thrive on made in China goods. You know, we like cheap things. We like to go to the dollar sections of stores and be able to buy a lot of things cheaply. And we're able to do that because a lot of those things are made in China. What about the capitalist response to that? That you have on the one hand a moral outrage against China, but then the basic capitalist impulse of a lot of these companies saying, but I save a lot of money by that, you know, doing business with China. How do you deal with that particular issue? Well, I mean, the the, uh, the Wall Street financiers who financed China's rise and the big box stores who profited from it constitute a very powerful lobby. And we've never really had a sufficient counter lobby to that. Now we do. Now we have 80 percent, 90 percent of the American public realizing that China is not just a military threat, not just a cybersecurity threat, not just a threat to their privacy. It's a threat to their very health and well-being. So now we have a lobby consisting of middle Americans who are ready to get tough on China. And I think that President Trump, whose natural inclinations have been for the last 20 years to get tough on China, will be able to ride that wave to new policies and overcome the objections of the big box stores. Look, if the Chinese-made goods are sitting on the shelves of those stores for any length of time, uh, they, they aren't cheap anymore. They're a lot more expensive. They're taking up space that could be used to sell other goods and make, make money. So Americans need to boycott made-in-China made goods. And places like Amazon, online retailers, need to sell us, tell us up front. Uh, whether or not a good is made in China. They hide it now. Yep. You can't find out if you're buying something on Amazon where it's made. True. Bezos needs to, te- to tell us where the goods are made, and we will find that Americans flee the China market. Uh, because you know what? The China price seemed cheap for a long, long time. But if you factor in the cost of the coronavirus pandemic, it doesn't seem so cheap anymore, at least to me. No, not at all. That I, I agree with what you're saying completely. What about the likelihood, though, that as you have these labs over in China, that they could do something like this again? What's to stop them from doing another coronavirus type, you know, release like happened? And, and you know, we're looking at it as if it was, you know, an accidental sort of thing because they didn't have the protocols in place that would have prevented it. But what would prevent them from doing some sort of act of bioterror? if they're already concocting these kinds of viruses within their labs? 
Yeah, no, there's nothing to prevent them from doing that. This is a totally, you know, amoral, immoral group of people who are willing to do anything to achieve uh, world domination. They want to replace us as the dominant power on the planet. So, yeah, would they unleash a, a bioterror weapon on the world? Of course they would. They have no compunctions about doing that if they think that it would solidify and enhance their position. So we have to be ready uh, in the same way that Taiwan was ready for this epidemic. Uh, Taiwan was hurt by the SARS epidemic back in 2003. There were cases in Taiwan. People got sick. People died. And so they were ready this time around. They knew that nothing good comes out of China. And so they had the PPE on hand in storage. They had the face masks. They had the respirators, the ventilators. They had the thermometers. And as soon as the first cases were found in Wuhan, they locked down flights from Wuhan to Taiwan. That's why they've had very few cases to date. Uh, we will have to be in the future ready in the same way. We will have to have a stockpile. We will have to have a plan. We will have to be suspicious of everything that comes out of China, even something uh, as tiny as an invisible enemy. Uh, coronavirus. Uh, we won't be fooled a second time. Yet. Yeah, I agree with you there. What about the World Health Organization? Because the World Health Organization clearly helped in this cover-up of China's responsibility for the pandemic and its spread. And, you know, Trump has, you know, pulled back the funding and so forth. But what about our future relationship with the WHO? If they're in China's back pocket, how in the world could we ever trust them again? Well, the World Health Organization, especially Dr. Tedros, has a great relationship uh, with the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, I believe that if you if you had access to secret Swiss bank accounts, you might find his name on one of them. Uh, certainly, China has been uh, funded billions and billions of dollars for projects in Ethiopia, where Dr. Tedros is a member of the ruling Communist Junta. Mm. So they're ideological partners. Uh, and so the China, so the World Health Organization has behaved more like, oh, I don't know, the China Health Organization in this crisis. Uh, they've covered up for, for China. Uh, they're still lying for China. Although recently, just two days ago, very interestingly enough, the fellow, the World Health Organization office director in, uh, in China, in Beijing, uh, gave an interview in which he criticized China. He said, we've been asking uh, for an investigation uh, for, for weeks now, and we've had no response from the Chinese government. Uh, we've been asking to go to the lab, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, uh, and we haven't been permitted to do that. He said any investigation of the origin of the epidemic has to start with the two labs in Wuhan. I thought that was interesting. I think the World Health Organization is waking up to the fact that we give them a half billion dollars every year. China gives them, you know, 10, 20 million. Hmm. And, uh, and, and I guess they woke up to the fact that, uh, that you know, of what side their bread is buttered on here. Good grief. And, and you know, another issue that is also very important is the drugs that are made, the medicine that is made over in China. I know the Trump administration has said we're too dependent on China for some of these medicines. But really, how much can we do to disrupt the global supply chains and to bring the you know manufacturing of medicines to somewhere else than China, whether it's the United States or some other country we trust more? What about that issue? Well, I, I think that more, more generally, we, we're very blessed to have a businessman uh, in the Oval Office right now. Yeah. And, and this is uh, an individual who spent, you know, the last, uh, well, all of his adult life in, in the free market. He understands how capitalism works. He understands how the capital markets work. Uh, he will not take action against China that will come back to, to hurt us. So I think we're going to see uh, prudential actions taken against China that, that rein them in. I know that within the next two years, we're going to bring back pharmaceuticals 
Uh, we're going to source, be sourcing pharmaceuticals in the United States, again, key pharmaceuticals. Okay. We're going to do that in part by ensuring that the Veterans Administration and the military only order made in America pharmaceuticals to create a market uh, for the production of those goods, you know, not in China. And, you know, China got in its position by forming a cartel. All the Chinese pharmaceutical companies, which are either owned by the Communist Party or controlled by them, got together in 2003, and, and, and the Communist Party said, we want you to work together to undercut and destroy the American pharmaceutical industry and bring all production here. That's exactly what they did. If you've got unlimited access to state funds, you can cut your prices so low that no American private company can compete. Yep. They drove everybody out of business. And now, of course, they, they raise their prices back up and they're using this as leverage against us. Yeah, Steve, so, so good. Great information. Stephen Mosher, thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. We'll be right back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Good news, good news, good news for churches in Kansas City, Missouri. You know, I told you a couple of days ago about that draconian order that came down from the mayor of Kansas City pertaining to collecting names and contact information because churches were considered non-essential businesses. So if a visitor came to your church, you had to get the name, you had to get the contact information. And then if somebody came down with coronavirus, then you were required to hand over that information to the government. Now, don't worry, the government is going to keep it totally confidential. And what are they doing? It's completely insane. Well, now the good news is that order has been amended. Fantastic. And it will no longer be required of churches to take names and contact information. It's the fifth amended order from the mayor, Quentin Lucas of Kansas City. And I think this is a wonderful development. This is Section H of the order. It says religious gatherings, including but not limited to weddings, funerals, memorial services and wakes of 10 persons inside or 10 percent of building occupancy, whichever number is greater, and 50 people outside may resume provided social distancing is maintained in the interest of public health and to avoid a COVID-19 outbreak in the community. Event organizers should consider should consider maintaining a record of attendees where appropriate. Attendees are not required, however, to provide their names or contact information at any religious gathering. Now, this is a wonderful development. I hope this will signal to the rest of the would-be thugs around the country who would consider doing something as draconian as, as this to reconsider their actions and recognize that this was unconstitutional and there was no way this is going to stand. And in fact, it's been great to see Bill Barr, the U.S. Attorney General, get involved in some of these disputes with churches being really under the jackbooted thugness of some of these mayors and some of these governors across the country. So they probably 
saw the legal writing on the wall that this wasn't going to stand and didn't really want to be sued and it really wasn't worth it. But I'm glad to see this. This is a wonderful development. And I just praise God for all the people who actually went and complained to Kansas City and let their voices be heard because that was very, very important. We got a big, big response on social media when we put out the announcement about what happened in Kansas City. So thank the Lord that this happened. And this is uh, brought back to reality and to a more constitutional position. So that's fantastic. I want to talk a little bit about this issue of draconian action regarding COVID-19. And, and one of the things that was put out there just recently was a Facebook post by a Republican state representative from Ohio. His name is Nino Vitale, and he had a Facebook post on the issue of masks, the masks that they want us to wear all the time. Sometimes they force you to wear the mask. It has to be a cloth mask, not necessarily an N95 mask, the type that they wear in hospitals, but you have to have something over your face because this will give you good cover if you have COVID-19 and you're asymptomatic and and that will protect other people from contracting COVID-19 and all the rest of this stuff. But I don't know what, what it's like where you are, but it's kind of a mixed bag here in Texas. We've been slowly reopening and I'm going into some of these stores and it's kind of half and half with people maybe getting away from wearing the masks. But anyway, this representative as the Hill report cited his religious beliefs to explain why he would not wear a mask as recommended by Governor Mike DeWine to help limit the spread of coronavirus. Now, what does he say on his Facebook page? He plays a video and the person on this video you'll hear is the Ohio health director, Dr. Amy Acton. He points out that in early April, Dr. Acton said, don't use masks. They won't stop the spread. In late April, Dr. Acton said to mandate masks. Governor DeWine in late April said there's no mandate for masks. Dr. Acton in early May said don your cape and mask, everybody. And then Dr. Acton in early May said mandate for only employees. Governor DeWine has just said that masks were a bridge too far. So we've seen the directives on wearing masks kind of all over the map. Listen to this cut, cut one. So I presented the idea of universal was the word I was using, masking. It's really about behavior change and culture change. So when I've traveled globally, again, as a global health professor in other cultures, this is the norm. But we have to get there together as a culture. We have to, this is a very big behavioral change for us. Eventually, in our culture, perhaps wearing masks, that might eventually be a culture change we get to. I see it this way. This is the beginning of that social contract with each other. Um, So this is something we're going to lean into very heavily. We're going to have lots of campaigns about it, and we're going to reach as many people. Join me in this. Don your mask. Don your cape. All right. That was a little creepy. And it was divided up. Obviously, he was doing little excerpts of her speech, but kind of creepy, wasn't it? I don't have an objection necessarily to going out and wearing a thin little mask on my face. It doesn't bother me, except when it fogs up my glasses. I don't like that too much, but I don't mind it. But on the other hand, when you start talking about there needs to be a culture change, what are we going to walk around for the rest of our lives wearing masks because some microbe might pop up at some point after COVID-19 goes away? We'll have more morphed viruses that'll get worse. And who knows what pandemic is around the corner. So just wear masks all the time. 
yeah, I don't really think you're going to get Americans to do that. And this was the point that the representative, Nino Vitale, was trying to make. And that was, I'm not really convinced that we have to wear masks all the time. And he plays a little excerpt here. It's not the greatest audio quality, but he speaks at the end of this. And he first talks about Governor DeWine coming back from his initial decision to mandate masks and then walking it back. Listen to cut two. The governor of Ohio also reversing his mandatory no-mask, no-service policy. It became clear to me that that was just a bridge too far. People were were not going to accept the government telling them what to do. Uh, And so we put out, you know, dozens and dozens of orders. Uh, That was one that it just went too far. When, when we think about the image and likeness of God, that we're created in the image and likeness of God, when we think of image, do we think of a chest or our legs or our arms? We think of their face. I don't want to cover people's faces. That's the image of God right there. And, and I want to see it in my brothers and sisters. Well, I think that's an interesting perspective. I don't think being created in the image of God means you never wear a mask. But I kind of get where he's coming from in some respects when you talk about not wanting to wear a mask over your face all the time. We're free people. And like I said, I'm not objecting to masks, but to mandate them, especially when the mandates have gone up and down all the time, that's just kind of weird. Plus, he points out that the orders that had been given were not voted on by a two-thirds vote of the legislature. And that needs to be done in cases of emergencies in Ohio. So he says these orders that have been given on um, some fronts have been invalid. And that's another point, the legal and the constitutional point, even state constitutions. But I really kind of focused in on this story from The Guardian. Report on face masks effectiveness for COVID-19 divides scientists. Well, what do you know? There's not a 100% consensus on the mask thing. There's this report out from a multidisciplinary group convened by the Royal Society called Delve, and it has weighed up the evidence and come out in favor of the public wearing face masks, including homemade cloth coverings in a bid to tackle COVID-19. But The report prompted other scientists to express their reservations, warning that it amounted to no more than opinion and overstated the available evidence. Dr. Simon Clark, associate professor in cellular microbiology at the University of Reading, said the report falls short of delivering new evidence and too casually dismisses precautionary principle when addressing the possibility that masks and coverings could have negative effects on people's behaviors. He said until more evidence is delivered in either direction, that's all advice can be based on opinions. Another consultant in acute medicine and infectious diseases at University College London Hospital, Dr. Ben Killingly, was also critical. He said the report is overly optimistic about the value of face coverings, and it is incorrect to conclude that the evidence shows that face covering can reduce viral transmission in the community. There is, in fact, no good evidence that face coverings achieve this. What am I trying to get at by pointing this out? It's not so much about the masks, although it is about the masks. It's about people's freakout factor, their fear. We need something that will completely get rid of this pandemic 100% and nobody dies and nobody gets sick. They want this incredible standard to be met and whatever we have to do to get there, they'll accept even if it doesn't make any scientific sense. And I'm going to extrapolate that when we come back. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. Stay with us.
Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact for the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. This past week, a woman shared she feared being pregnant with so much going on in the world. The abortionist gave her an RU-46 pill to terminate her pregnancy. Our Preborn Center was there for her, however, reversed the abortion pill and saved her baby. Our crisis line is flooded with women with similar stories. Preborn centers are the alternative to Planned Parenthood. And this May, through a challenge grant, Preborn will be able to send 100 to clinics if this goal is reached. And you can help. Call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. One ultrasound is just $28, but this challenge will double your efforts. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Face masks, no face masks. Is it effective? Is it not? Scientists are divided according to The Guardian, and yet you have people mandating face masks and other people saying, I'm not going to wear a face mask, like this Ohio representative who's saying... People are created in the image of God. We don't want to have something covering our faces. Now, that may be a little simplistic, and I think that it is, but I do think it's good to question. Isn't it good to question? Isn't that what the Bereans did? And that's on a much more fundamental, important matter, which is the gospel and the word of God. And when the apostles were preaching Christ crucified, these Bereans were checking what they said against the word of God. Why? Because they didn't want to be fooled. They didn't want to be deceived. They didn't want to be caught up in the emotion of the moment. They wanted to know what was actually true. And they knew that God does not contradict himself. And that, in fact, if this Christ who was being preached by the apostles was, in fact, Lord, then it would be confirmed by the word of God and it would not contradict it. That is the attitude every Christian needs to have. Have a healthy skepticism, folks. It's good for society when we have a healthy skepticism. It doesn't mean you open up your mind to the extent that your brain falls out. It just means that you don't take everything at face value just because somebody important in a lab coat said it. There are a lot of people in lab coats who are dead wrong. So we just have to watch that. Now, where is this all leading? All of this COVID-19 freak out. Well, here's some updates on what's been going on. You have a report here in Breitbart about three prominent U.S. universities, USC, Emory University and the University of Texas Health Science Center, now receiving a federal grant to create a mobile app for contact tracing coronavirus. The system will track a person's real-time location and symptoms and calculate a personal COVID-19 risk score. Okay, No. How about no? 
bad idea. This is very much reminiscent of the social credit scoring that they have in China, where they have declared some 13 million people untrustworthy. You really want that kind of thing implemented in the United States? But why do people want this? Oh, we've got to stay safe. We've got to stay safe. You want to be safe, don't you? You want to make sure that nothing bad happens to you, right? Because society can control somehow all bad things from happening to you at any point in time? Not really. Here's another example from the Miami Herald. Fever-reading drones are just first of a wave of privacy challenges, according to civil liberties advocates. I guess they've had some of this going on with police departments in Daytona Beach, Florida, and Connecticut unveiling what was initially touted as a potential new tool against a pandemic. Drones capable of taking a person's temperature from 300 feet in the air. Yeah, no. No, you know, this is the problem when you have advanced technology, all of a sudden people want to weaponize it because it's just human nature. I'm not saying these people have bad intent. I'm just saying that bad intent is never far behind, right? You can have the best invention in the world and somebody will try to weaponize it for a bad purpose. It's just human nature. Doesn't mean that the inventor intended it for that. It doesn't mean that the technology in and of itself is a bad thing. It just means that in the hands of sinful mankind, sometimes it goes terribly wrong. So we have to keep an eye out on this. Worse, you have this story in the New York Times about how you have social distancing informants keeping their eyes on you. And there's a story at the outset of a guy who was scrolling through Facebook and he saw a doctor, a cardiologist from his hometown who was protesting at a rally and saying, we're an essential service, and he didn't have a mask on. And so the guy on Facebook reported him, and people piled on, and pretty soon this doctor had been suspended from his job for a week. Now, we jokingly refer to some of these people as Karens when they're females. You know, I'm going to turn you into the cops for walking down the street without a mask, this sort of stuff. But folks, this is scary because... It just doesn't end well. When you start creating a society in which people are encouraged to snitch on one another, like Bill de Blasio's hotline, ooh, call in and report your neighbor if he's up to anything bad or nefarious. We don't want to become that society. We just don't. We don't want to have drones tracking people. We don't want to give people risk scores for COVID-19 with mobile apps. And Apple and Google are also on that same track of using this technology to make sure that we do the right thing and we have good things enforced upon our persons. I, I don't like it. I don't like some of this stuff about mandatory vaccines. That scares me a lot. I'm not necessarily on the track of trusting a warp speed vaccine, as President Trump has talked about. I understand the motivation is good. You want to be able to mitigate any risk from COVID-19. But this comes down to a really important point. And there is a writer, Faye Voschel, over at the American Thinker, who really crystallized what has been in my head as well, but said it very, very well. Here is the headline to the piece. The Munchausen States Experiment with Mass OCD. And she really makes a good point. She's talking about Howard Hughes, how Howard Hughes was obsessive compulsive and he made people always wash their hands multiple times and use Kleenex to pick things up and all the all the rest of this. But she says in a manner similar to this riddance of germy thinking, the arrival of the coronavirus has given the political elite of the nanny state an opportunity to attempt to make the entire nation a safe place, or we might say a safe space. Germs and viruses will be totally eliminated, no matter what the cost. The Wuhan virus is a bit like thought crimes. 
as it also is seemingly ubiquitous, invisible, systemic, and difficult to diagnose except by those who have declared themselves able to discern symptomatic evidences. It follows that a universal disease requires constant cleansing of society. It requires constant examination of those who have been or might be infected by it. It's a universal germ that must be chased down with great vigilance. As Conrad Black has noted, the National Democratic leadership locked arms and deployed their media acolytes in support of a prolonged shutdown where virtually everyone in the country would be tested and those who test positively identify everyone they have been in contact with in the last two weeks. And those people are chased down and the hunt for the last trace of coronavirus is pursued throughout the country to every attic, basement, homeless shelter, and rustic cabin. And until that happy day arrives, the entirety of our society is ordered to observe OCD rituals designed to keep America healthy. So don't come out of your house. And if you absolutely must, stay the ritualistic six feet apart. Even though I've seen reports saying that six feet is not the distance, it's something more like 32 feet. But nobody's going to enforce a 32 feet barrier between people because how would you get into Walmart that way? Anyhow, Wear a mask. Be sure to have washed your hands until they're raw. Close down exceptionally infectious places like churches while leaving the temples of materialism like Walmart open to all comers. Don't go to the beach. Don't skateboard. Don't touch anybody. Society can deal with the random high-functioning person with OCD. There are real people who behave like Howard Hughes, right? There are problems with people who have OCD, and we tolerate them. And they are functional in many respects. And society can at least partly accommodate people who compulsively use sanitary wipes for the doorknob and who wash the keys with soap, who retrace their steps in order to be sure the kitchen surfaces have been wiped down with bleach, who unplug the iron and the toaster and the blender because they think electricity connected to any appliance might be a silent killer. The difficulties lie in the Munchausen mom and Howard Hughes statists whose psychotic, arbitrary and erratic warfare tactics against an invisible virus are forced on the entire populace. Requiring OCD behavior is as destructive to society at large as it was individually to Howard Hughes. The present rules of social engagement with our fellow human beings are making neurotics of us all. Worse, those who are proponents of the new regulations want to keep them around forever, establishing abnormality as the new normal. Can we see that something is bound to go wrong with our country if we continue to regard our fellow Americans as walking pathogens? Can we guess that something is amiss with a political philosophy that regards all of society as permanently contaminated by either invisible and wrong thinking or by an unending virus that is continually recycling and ready to attack when a distance of six feet is breached? Can we foresee the permanent debilitation of a society that needs to be kept in an economic coma permanently, fed intravenously drip by monetary drip by the nanny Munchausen state. Might even the most stalwart among us turn into hopeless agoraphobics who see the entire world is so germ-ridden, so sick unto death that we must stay inside forever. Now, the piece goes on. It's excellent, though. Isn't that really what we're seeing? There's so much fear. Create a safe space for me, government. I don't want to get COVID-19. And and they're not even 
comforted by the facts, by the data on COVID deaths actually being a very low rate compared with how many people have contracted COVID-19. That doesn't make them feel better. They're always worried. I'm going to be the next one or someone I love is going to be the next one. Do everything you can. Masks for everybody. Don't let anybody out of their homes. It's fear that is driving us. And when we put fear above liberty and above common sense and above critical thinking, then we will be in a very dangerous spot in which we might agree to let the government call the shots on a free people. And we just can't do that, ultimately. Thank you so much for being with us on Janet Mefford today. We'll see you next time. God bless you. And thanks so much for tuning in.